We're here with Emily Morris today. Hello. Hello. And we get to talk about sex, which yeah. is so exciting. And we are so thrilled and honored to have you here. You guys, this is literally a pioneer of the podcast world. She started, created, and hosts her own podcast since 2005, Sex with Emily. Let's run through some of your accolades. Oh, wow. Why not? Okay. It's been voted top podcast by Esquire Magazine, number one dating and sex expert on Twitter. 2016, you were the number one iTunes podcast in health and sexuality. Right? How am yeah. I doing so far? Yeah, you're doing so well. And you've had over 40 million downloads thus far, correct? Yes. I'm yeah. sure the number's Maybe even higher. Maybe more. Yeah, God. So you're insane. Oh, I feel good. You should feel good. You should feel good. And you're a contributor to pretty much every magazine anybody's ever heard of. Yep. Cosmo, Glamour, Men's Health, right? You've mm-hmm. been, you were co-host with Dr. Drew on Loveline. You are literally today's modern day Dr. Ruth. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I feel good about that. You're prettier than she oh, was. Oh, <laughs> We're both little Jews. But um, no, I feel good about it. I do. I really, when I started this, like, yeah, 13 years ago, I thought, God, there's really, the only name that we can all think of when we think about sex experts, sex doctors is Dr. Ruth. And really? I was like, that I was it. That's, that's it. And I was like, oh, God, I would love to be like seen as like the next Dr. Ruth. That was kind of like this goal. So you always had it in your head. I did. That's kind of amazing because what people, maybe some people know this about you, but this is a whole career switch for yeah. you, which I really want to chat about. And I think what people don't realize, she's not just impressive now. You've always been impressive. Oh. You started in politics. And you also, you created an award-winning documentary, directed and produced it? Yes, I did. About the mayoral race in 1999 in San Francisco. True. Were you also an aide to Willie Brown? I was. And to Barbara? Yes. Right? Barbara Boxer, yeah. So I moved to... I'm just like, I I actually didn't believe it. I was like, there's no way. There's no way Emily worked in politics and wore a suit (laughs) every day and drove a BMW when I was 25 and went to City Hall and and had a parking spot and work for the mayor. Yeah. I moved to San Francisco from Michigan and I started working in politics. I was there for about 10 years. I really wanted to work for helping getting women elected to higher office because when I graduated from college, there was only two women in the Senate and both Boxer, Margaret Boxer and Feinstein were running in. I read this article in the New York Times my senior year and it said it was the year of the woman in California. And I thought, that's, I want to get women elected. And isn't I got in my car that, and drove out in three days from Michigan. It's just amazing. And isn't it funny that that heading keeps happening every year? And it's well, like, no. so when is the year of the women? Well, I think it actually is now. I do too. I think like men are canceled and women. It's like literally the year of the woman. <laughs> Prime time. Women. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's how it all started. And I was always very much about what, I was very always driven by what is my purpose on the planet? Like I always felt like I was going to do something that was going to be change the world and be important, something that I would feel good about. And I wasn't sure what it was, but at the time I thought politics, that's a real way to make a difference. So when you say you felt that way, were you always like that? Like even as a child? No, it happened in when I moved to college, when I got into college, I was got really driven and obsessed. And I don't remember being very type A. I'm trying to think when this started, it was more in college. I was like, wow, I really want to get good grades and I want to do something. I got so... I would be very energized when I would you get- went to Michigan, right? Yeah, I went to Michigan. And so I remember taking a poli-sci class and I just got hooked on it. Not that I didn't take politics in Do you feel like it was the teacher? Was it the material? I think it was the material. It was like, wow, here's something that I, I don't know a ton about. I kind of felt a little ignorant too. I was like, I don't really understand politics. It seems like it's something that, you know, is really useful. Like it affects all of our lives. And then I took a really good women's studies course and it just came together. I was like, I want to do something for women, for women's rights, women's issues around politics. And then this just sort of, I just kind of followed that hunch. And then I worked for my congressman the year before I graduated in Washington, D.C. And then I was reading the paper about the year of the woman. And I was like, well, I want to get out of Michigan. And I, that's, I followed that. And so I always kind of knew, but I would pivot because 
So I worked in politics and I- But wait, you got in a car without the job yet. In my geoprism, right. I love it. <laughs> and you drove all the way to San Francisco in hopes of getting to work with them. Yes. But you hadn't, there was I volunteered no, for like six months. I mean, that's so impressive. So you really were following an instinct. I was. It was a weird, it was like, that's how a lot of my decisions have been made kind of just, if something strikes me really hard and I just, keep, I feel it, I follow that. Where do you so, feel it? I felt it. That's a good question. The whole where do you feel things in your body? I've worked so hard on that because I was like, um, I'd have to guess like therapists would ask me and I'd be like, um, here. Okay. I mostly numb. I don't feel things. No, I've had to open up. That was 20 years. I, I probably feel it in my, I guess I always think it's like right in my stomach yeah. right here. I mean, but the reason I ask is because, I mean, it's a huge thing for people. You seem to have been always very connected to your instincts and gut without having to try very hard. The fact that you're like, oh, I don't even know where I felt it. You just felt yeah. it. You knew and you operated, but people really struggle with that. And so for you to be able to not only do that, then later, well, actually being very successful in that field, being like, mm, not for me, I need to make right. a shift. Talk about that time in your life too, because that's a whole nother time. Like your instinct, like your yeah. instinct and gut took over. You know, it's funny. I was I was raised to be like, you know, a lot of women, I think, are raised sort of to, or just socialized, not even raised, but like our goal is to, you know, obviously in our 20s, we work hard. Women definitely, you know, we're working, we have jobs now, but also to have your eyes geared towards finding the one, finding marriage and relationships. And and that was never like, it always felt really important to me to figure out what my contributions were going to be and, and what I was going to work at because my mom also raised me, never rely on anyone to take care of you. You're going to be working. My mom was independent, raised us. And she was just like, that's going to be your thing. So I figured, and my dad was a lawyer and hated being a lawyer. So as a young kid, or maybe 15, when I started thinking about this stuff, I thought, well, my dad hates what he's doing. And my mom says, you know, you'll always be working. So I thought, well, if I'm always going to be working, I better do something that feels good and that I love because I don't want to dread my job. And you are so lucky that that was even the troubling. message. Yes. I know. And my mom's still like, great. I'm glad you're happy. She was never like, why don't I have a, you know, why aren't you married? It was just, I'm lucky that I didn't have that. But I, not lucky, but there's some people who are like plagued by their parents' voices yep. who are like, we need grandkids right now. And my mom was they like. They don't move because of their parents. Yeah. They don't go after their dreams. Absolutely. So I, um. So I figured out then that that was important. So when I was in politics, I loved it for a long time and I was doing really cool things, working for Barbara Boxer on her first campaign and then the mayor. And But then I realized at one point when it started to not feel right, I don't remember where, but just like it felt kind of, I felt very disillusioned by politics. Whereas I was mobilizing people to get, you know, GOTV, get out the vote and getting voters on board for people I believed in and issues I believed in, I realized the other side of politics was it was so much about raising money and it was kind of dirty mm -hmm. and I wasn't as inspired anymore. So then after that, I was like, well, I always think that this is such an important thing. Like to, it's not just because you change careers, it might seem random. I think it's important to just like when you end a relationship, look back and go, what did I like about that? What didn't I like about that? What do I want in my next situation? So for me, I loved I really was fascinated by politics, but mostly it was the people and their, their it was a fascinating characters in San Francisco because it's kind of like a small nation. I mean, everyone there is a Democrat, like if you're a Republican, it's like with a small R. So I just thought Willie Brown is a great <laughs> character and I love documentaries at the time. So I melded it and I was driving over the Golden Gate Bridge. This was another hit in San Francisco. And I was like, wow, I should make a documentary about Willie Brown running for mayor. That would be fascinating. And so I drove to it. We were still friends because I'd worked for him and then I'd left to travel around the world and I came back I said I want to make a film about you running for mayor so that took off on a whole nother and you'd never worked never, in entertainment ever never 
I raised money for. It was, cra- it's I mean, all kind of crazy, but it's amazing. But it, it comes together. But I mean, it, I think it, it does show like when you know you're following what you're supposed to do, it does happen and it works for you. Yeah, your passion. Like I didn't know how it was going to work. I didn't have all the steps. Now I'm also not one of those planners like who's, I don't have, I have fear in very small areas, but in the big areas, like where you should have fear, like how could you make a film? I don't. I'm the same way. I'm like, right? oh, I have this idea. Let's just make it let's happen. Let's make a dead meditation suit. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's just create this because it doesn't exist. Yeah, this doesn't exist. Let's just do it. Right. What's the big deal? It's just creating a studio. Right. And then day to day, I might stress out because like my car ran out of gas. So I get here late. And things are happening in the office that are little. But the big picture, it's like if my You don't have fear. No. So that's where that, yeah. So it all sort of pivoting, but built upon so each other. So then after the documentary, how, how did, how did sex how, start? How did you start having sex? Okay, so I'm here's the thing, right. Well, what happened was, so I loved, the documentary was great, but it was like giving birth, it was like, I'm assuming it would be like what giving birth is or having a, raising a family, a four-year-old, <laughs> because I did it for, it was my whole world. It was like starting a, a business in the sense of I raised uh, money for it. I also shot 200 hours. Wow. And it got picked up by PBS by the trailer. So I had to shot, shoot a 54-minute thir- documentary and edit down 150 hours. Blah. So that took a while. And after that, I realized, okay, that was exhausting. I don't think I want to do another film. It was, And this was 1999 to 2003. So it wasn't like everybody can make a film with their phone. There was not a lot of reality TV. It was a much different yep. time then. I love that we're like in the same age. Like you get I get vibe. it. So then after that, I realized, like, you know what I love? I loved, out of all that, producing and editing and directing, I love interviewing people. And just like in politics, I love talking to people on the streets and being like, you should vote for Here's why I think this person is interesting to vote for. And I, I love hearing people's stories. And I thought, I just I just love the interview process. And at the time, I'd been sort of going on this sex. I thought if I did another documentary, another project or something, I knew that sex and relationships was something that had always given me pause, like had always excited me and interested me to understand what how the hell do you have a happy relationship? Were you struggling with relationships at this point? Did you have successful ones? I had both. But what I was struggling with was the notion of monogamy and that we have one choice and that everyone around me seemed to be kind of like suffering around dating, finding the one, and then also that 50% of marriages end in divorce. So I'm like, here's this one choice we all have, this one institution for marriage, and no one's giving us any instructions. Most people seem like they're not really happy and it's really hard. And I also grew up in a home of lots of divorces and stuff. So I'll, I'll give you that, that my upbringing wasn't like, look at my happy parents. I never want to do that. great monogamy is. Right. It was just kind of like, it was something that I would, and since I was a kid, if I met a couple, and I met, my mom tells me this, I'd be like, how'd you guys meet? W- what's your love story? Like, I've always loved to get into people's stories about whatever it was. And then in the last few years, it had always, or always it had been in relationships and sex. So the sex thing happened because I thought, I... It was the first year podcasting was starting. I had an intern at the time who worked on my film. And I was like, let's just start interviewing people about sex. And she's like, well, there is this podcasting thing. Start. It was the first month. I was like, great. That is so crazy. We got a sound guy off Craigslist. He came over, Eddie. He's great. And I just invited a bunch of friends over. And I just started interviewing them about their sex life, their relationship, dating, marriage, love, and everybody just opened up. You realize people really want to talk about it because sex education is abysmal. Now, your mission, for lack of a better word at this point, is you wanted information. You enjoyed this yes. conversation. It wasn't about, no, you're right. Let's create a like successful interview show. Let's, right. It was, it was about, it was more about like, I knew that we all learned from each other's stories. So I knew that like, I learned from interviewing people. And I thought if people were really open, cause I was not the expert at the time at all. I'd had a lot of, you know, hands-on experience <laughs> actually, but I was not a doctor, doctorate at the time. I just thought 
this could be really great material. We all want to talk. I realized that you with girlfriends, like we all talk about it. I mean, let's bring this to, to be great content and we could learn. And then I realized shh, like after the first show, literally I was like, wow, I, this is it. This is my path. And I've never looked back. So like I said, after the first show, the first show I did five it. hours in my friends, live, like in my living room, my friends, people came over and I thought, this is it. I found my calling. Like what people would feel if they had been looking for the one. I thought this is it. And I was, I have not turned back and I love it. Were there, how, what were your challenges in the beginning? Like starting a podcast, like, and oh, also yeah. when you decided, okay, from now on, I'm kind of associating myself with sex. Did that work against you in any ways? Family, how really people looked question. at you? Um, you know, I, I guess so. You know, my, luckily my mom was pretty cool about it. She told people I had, I had a show where I help people with dating. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Um, and I really, I was so, I get so driven by what I'm doing. Like I was just obsessed with like making a good podcast and learning myself. I read like, you could see all of our sex books out there, like every book on the planet around sex and dating and relationships that I was really more about, um, about, oh God, what was your question? Sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, A, that you chose, what, oh, did you have any oh, pitfalls? Was hard, okay, right. And also, was it hard Sorry, being that, associated with sex, okay. especially back then? That's a So back then, okay, let me start this again. We'll add this again. Is that I feel like, um, <laughs> I didn't really know, like I knew that we'd all learn from this. I was learning, but I was so driven on that path of like trying to figure out how I could educate people and myself better. I wasn't thinking about, oh, it'll be so weird now when you Google me, the only thing that comes up is sex, 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 anal sex month. You know, like that's like go on a date with a guy five years later, like that 13 years later, now I am sex. People are like, oh, there's sex. I'm in the bar. Like, you're, you're the sex girl. So what I didn't see it coming because I wasn't a big like, what could this mean? And I didn't morally have any problems, challenges like, oh, I'm going to be embarrassed because I thought I have no problem with sex. I think sex should be talked about as openly as we do everything else. So Did I was surprised you how other people have a problem with it. I have found to be honest that more so than not 99% of people I meet want to talk about it. And if they don't, then they probably don't even come near me at the party or in the room. But most people <laughs> want to be like, Oh my God, that's cool. Can I ask you a question or tell me more about that? Because I think that we're dying for places to feel comfortable about sex so we can be vulnerable, being a judgment free. That's the thing on my podcast. It's very judgment, you know, free. Right, yeah. We just, I'm open. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you what you should do, what you shouldn't do. I'm not going to here to like bring you down. I want you to feel like it's okay. Like it's an open place to discuss whatever challenges you're having. So now I help people, callers, all that. And I'll look, you just hinted at it when you said five years down the road, I date someone. So what is it like when you go, we've, I know you and I have talked about this personally, <laughs> but what is it when you go on your date, first date, do you ever feel creeped out? Like the person's dating you for the wrong reasons? Do you ever feel that moment of like, oh God, they're like staring at me in this weird way. They're just waiting to fuck me. This is all about seeing yeah. how I am in the sack. I feel like I, I can tell, okay, Luckily, I don't think I've had those experiences. Like I've gone as far as sleeping with them before. Oh, I was going to say, there's no way that hasn't happened. <laughs> but I know that I think I can suss those guys out. Like, so how? I, what do you feel? Like you can feel it? Yeah. Just like if they're really into my podcast, like if they're just <laughs> like that episode, you know, is that really true? And I, I just, I think I could tell they wouldn't get past the first, I can just, the first meeting, the first text, I think if that's, that's what they're about. Because most guys I've met that I've dated seriously didn't know what I did. And then when they found out, they were psyched. They're like, cool. <laughs> Hope she can bring it in the bedroom. And then you and I were talking about this earlier. Do you <laughs> feel like you have to perform? Like, is there a weight on you of like, literally like, oh God, like sometimes you just want to be fucking lazy and sit there. Like <gasps> a lot of us ladies sometimes, but oh, do you feel yeah. like you can't do that? No, I feel like I could, cause I'm, you know what? My, the number one thing on my show 
is truly about communication. And yes, sex, it's sex with Emily, but we talk a lot about relationships, communication, how to ask for what you want, how to be in touch with your body, which I think meditation is a huge part of that. And so for me, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not feeling it. And if I'm, and I, and I do think I've also in the 13 years, I've kind of a lot better at knowing myself sexually. And I think I can't help but bring it, if you will, because I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to like fake it. Like if I'm not there, I'm not there. But when I'm in the moment, I think sex is like an art. And if you're really connected to your partner, you can, there's no failing with sex. Like there's no ways that you could really do it wrong, except for maybe if you're in pain and you're not saying anything or you're consenting to sex you don't want to have. But every time you're with someone, you co-create that sexual experience. So if I look at each experience, it's like, well, I don't even have like a go-to position thing with someone. Like, even if it is, we know and we're connected. So it doesn't feel like it's inauthentic, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But let's talk about that because, I mean, spirituality and meditation deals a lot with authenticity and figuring out who you are. And you mentioned that too, why meditation you think is really helpful. And I know you have a very, you have a pretty good practice for yourself. Yeah which I would love to talk about. Yeah. So how do you think the two mesh and how do you think they overlap and what is beneficial about a meditation practice and sex and sex? Oh, that's, Oh God. It's so there's, they go so hand in hand because I think that a lot of the challenges. So my show is a lot of people call in or email with questions, right? And a lot of it has to do with um, shame and fear and people really at the end of the day want to know, am I normal? Like, is it okay that I fantasize about someone other than my partner? Or is it okay that I don't always have orgasms? Or is it okay that I'm my penis might not be as big as she wants? You know, and a lot of that is fear-based. No, I'm just And kidding. so, right, right. And kidding. then, or people call it with sexual discomfort. Right, right. <laughs> big penis. No. Um, so I feel like a lot of the challenges people have is, yes, I can give you technical advice, but has to do with- um, Self-acceptance. Self-acceptance. And also in the moment when you're having sex, people, there's a lot of challenges people have, inability to orgasm. For men, they come too quickly, they can't come at all. It's because we're in our head. So if you can get into the, I, I just tell people this all the time, when you're in your head during sex and you're not in your body, you're not going to be able to control what happens. You've got to have this practice of learning to be in the moment and focus on your breath, all the senses happening around you. And then no matter what, you won't have the thoughts about, is he going to notice that I gained two pounds or that my left boob's bigger than my right boob or that my penis, you know, I feel like if you could kind of have a practice of learning how to sink into being present, which is what meditation allows you to do during sex, it's an amazing combination. And I will say the breathing, which you just, you hinted at for a little oh, bit. Oh, breathing is huge. You told me once we were out at dinner, remember, you're like, oh, just breathe. Like, because, <laughs> and I'm like, huh. And I remember, I think it was like that night or the next day, I was like, just in the middle, I was like, you know, just start breathing. And I think I text you right after. I'm like, holy shit, that was like the best sex I'd had in a long time. <laughs> and it's so that. simple. It's so honey. That I'm so glad you brought that up. Breath. It's and it so was true. so simple. I was like, oh God, that was so simple. And you I didn't realize how disconnected I was being. Right. But, but just by breathing, which I I mean, I am a meditator, so I, right. I understood what the point was. I was like, oh God, it really did just refocus. And just by that switch, do you remember like what you, your how senses, it was different? Well, my remember? all my senses were just like on fire right? again. It was weird. It was like a switch went on. Yeah. So it wasn't about anything changing, but I think, like you oh said, God, being I love present, it. turn on, like the senses were all heightened. Right. It's true. So and a better. lot of women and men, when we get nervous, we do hold our breath. So during sex, or we just, we're focusing on the sex and we're like power position that we do, but this, we, we're like, and we're and so many women are disconnected from their pelvic floor, everything. So when you breathe into that, 
And it's so hard in today's day and age. I mean, so many of us are doing a million things. It's not even because you don't want to be connected. Right. You're like, oh my God, I have this to-do list and I'm this job and my kids or my friend, yeah. whatever it is, there's always like 25 things, unfortunately, that it's hard to break. And even during sex, you're like, oh, I just want to get it through with. But if you're just like, I'm going to be in the moment, I'm not going to go to the past, the present, future, I'm just. What do you think the biggest difference, and I'm sure you get this question all the time, but the reason I'm asking it off of this is the mentality of men with sex and women with sex. Like, because for me, like, I'm joking, thinking about what we were just talking about. <laughs> like when my boyfriend and I, or husband, same person, just so people don't think I have two people on the side. Um, <laughs> and that's cool. When we got yeah. back from vacation, I remember him joking at one point. He's like, you know, we're just, this, we're not having as much sex as we were. And we were having a lot of sex. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's called vacation. <laughs> like for a reason. Like my Vacation sex is the best. But for, as, for me as a woman, it was like my brain was quieter. I had less to do. There was less going on. So I could, it was just more fun for me. Like I wanted it all the time. It's right. just more fun because that part of my life was close, like checked out for right. a little bit. You weren't worrying about the But it seems like for the men, they don't have that issue. No. If that's a great question. I think the big difference between men and women is the way we get arous arousal and desire. So I always say men are like frying pans and women are slow cookers. So <laughs> even from the way of like arousal, like we, we, I always say, is that up there? Four, oh, okay. I have a sign on the wall that says foreplay starts after the last orgasm. But one of my other foreplay, foreplay quotes is that Foreplay is is a, is not a suggestion; it's a requirement. Because we were so, the difference is we require some time sure. to get warmed up and turned on. It's not just like, hey, maybe you could, you know, slowly undress me. But we need that to get turned on. Your husband walks in and sees you; he's got an erection. He's so hot, you're hot, turned on, and that's one of the main differences. Poor audience, they have to picture it. us having sex now. Yeah. Sorry, no, but you're a hot little couple. <laughs> so they, but what I'm saying is. You, that's the difference. And we don't never know how to communicate it. We just fight about it. You're like, babe, can't like, this is a typical thing. Partner comes home. He's excited to see you, right? Not you, but any couple ready to go. And you're like, um, I was just changing diapers, putting stuff in the dishwasher. Like the sex is the last thing on my mind, but he sees you, he's attracted, he's ready to go, turned on. You're like, no. So that's one of the big differences I think too. What changes do you feel like you've seen in the world of sex? And I mean, you've been doing this now for a long time, first self-taught, and then you went and got your PhD. So what do you feel like with from your eyes and all these people you speak with and all the questions, has there been a trend happening? I would say that porn has been the biggest trend and had the largest impact across, God, for men and for women of all ages. And the easy access to porn, the proliferation of it, like the kids are seeing it for the first time at age eight or nine, they're seeing a pornographic image. And, and for many of them, that's the first image they ever see around sex like literally they sex means nothing like they've kind of heard about it and then they're like oh boobs oh porn and that that's how they're learning about sex and to me it goes so against what you were just saying about learning how to be present and yeah. connected so what happens is a lot of people there's a lot of different layers to how porn has been detrimental and i'm not anti-porn by any means i'm like watch it's like porn is a great way to turn on you and your partner do it together do it it's alone. not your sole education exactly of sex. but when kids start out or anyone starts out and that's what they, the only thing that they see um and also, if you're in a relationship, you know, or you're just, and even if you're whatever age you are, you're watching a lot of porn. For men, a lot of times they have to keep raising the bar. So it's like becomes a lot more intense and it can be harder to actually have sex with a human when it's easier just to have sex. So the problems I'm seeing is that a lot of young people are, are thinking or everyone's thinking that sex is sex education, that you should technically be doing what you see in porn. And it's, it's really, it's, it's made for pleasure. It's entertainment. Porn is made for entertainment, not education. The other thing is like what I just said that when people feel like, you know what, I'd rather just sit home and watch porn than even make an effort to go out and date, have sex because that seems like a lot harder. Yeah, it's easier. Yeah. 
So, um, no so I, I think porn has been a whole, and then that's a whole new world of fantasy. What about like social media? Has oh, with sex? Like, especially with the because you were talking dating. about like learning younger. Like, what about social media with the younger kids and all those emojis that all are just super emojis. dirty? I know, right? <laughs> no, I think oh yeah, social media for um for sex and for hooking up and for people feeling like people getting more sexualized, taking pictures that are much more like provocative at younger ages and just. Because I mean, for me, I, I, oh my God, the idea of taking a photo of myself at that age and sending to someone would have been mortifying. Oh, you mean like sexting or sending me photos? Oh yeah. Would have been mortifying for me back. I know. I would never. But now it's like, they, they do, they do that stuff like regularly and they're not even some, I mean, I don't know if I believe, like I talked to some of my younger family members, like they'll be like, oh, we're not even having, it's just like a way of communicating. It's like, Hey, here's my boobs and we'll meet up next weekend. I'm like, do not send naked (laughs) pictures of yourself because Whoever is sitting next to that person you send to is going to see it. So if you're cool with that. I know. I did, I, I'm re- revealing way too much of myself, but I did that for my boyfriend the other day. And like when he got home, I'm like, so were you in the writer's room? Like how many people just saw my boobs? Like, just let right. me know. He's, he's <laughs> like, he's like, no, no. I sit in a way that nobody can see anything. I'm like, that is a like, that is just a lie. Right. But like after well, I sent it. married, it's cool. No, but- I know. And like. <laughs> It, but it was hilarious. I'm like, I can see them all sitting around. Just the person probably doesn't say anything because, like, he's the boss. But, you know, they're like, fuck. What just, I just saw. Like, I don't want to see that. Too much information. But, yes, but I'm married. So it has, a di- it has a different, like, right. re- re- yeah, it's the result's not so bad. But, okay, so that's fascinating. What about dating apps on that, like, regard? Oh, yeah. Oh, dating apps has been huge. And how is that for, for you? Dating. Like, how has it changed for you? Oh, for my dating perfect personal life? Yeah. Um, I've dabbled in the dating apps. I am dating someone now. Most of the people I've met, I've met in real life. IRL. So I was about to say that. I, IRL, we have to. But I felt like um I don't love them, but I feel like they're a great tool for people. Like I I think I listen, it's a numbers game. So if you meet more people through dating online, that's great or on an app. But also just if you're really looking to meet someone and you're single and you're like, I'm bummed, there's no one in my town, which by the way, everyone thinks they live in the worst town to date in. So that's They're just all you. bad. Yeah. Every town is bad and every town is good. Open your eyes. Let everyone know that you're single. Like if you're really frustrated and you're like, I haven't met anyone, then put effort behind it. Let people know you're single. Like go out and do things that you wouldn't normally do. Like just say yes to invitations on Facebook for that random neighbor that's having a barbecue that you don't really love them, but maybe they have cool friends. But that is a huge point because I think also not only that, it's your attitude. It is. Because I used to have this conversation with friends too where they're like, you don't understand. You're in a relationship. And I'm like, I guarantee (laughs) if I were single, just because of my attitude, I would be excited to meet people. Like if I were in a bar, I'd be happy to speak with someone. I'd be, I wouldn't just like, ugh, no matter who walked over, I would probably have a conversation with them. And to me, that's really how you start dating more than anything else. It's not everyone's, it's not about looks. It's not about this. It's like, do you give off this friendly vibe that actually allows for a connection? You're so right. Because this is why I feel like you're like my sister from another mister. (laughs) No, it's true. Like, I feel like of all the guys I've met in my life, the the relationships I've had, it's always been when I'm out. And when I'm out, I truly love, and one of the things, reason why I love doing what I do is I love connecting to people. Like one of my favorite things is to walk into a room, a party, a bar where I know nobody. Cause I just love just, Hey, how are you? What's your story? I get, I get lit up by connections. And I know for some people, it's a high for me. They don't. Yeah, it's a high. Like I've actually been doing a lot of work lately, like looking at my why do you ever do any of that work? Like no, what's your why? I'll tell you, like, what's my purpose? And I'm like, oh, the things where I feel the most charged in life is meeting new people and like talking. And so I, for me, like, it's true. Even if it's not the person you're going to date, just getting curious, like really, truly curious about people 
getting outside yourself and asking questions is just a great way to connect. I mean, when I used to, when I was dating, I used to, and granted, like dating apps weren't around because I'm old. Um, but I used to say, like, I would never say no to anyone. I was like, if that guy had the balls to actually ask me out, because it's hard, it's so I would hard. at least give them a first date. Because no matter what, and what I would say is no matter what, I know I'm going to have an interesting conversation and I will enjoy the evening, whether right. it's someone for me or not. And to me, that was like just a huge difference of how I saw some of my friends attack right. dating. And I just always had more luck, I think, because of it, because I was just open to anyone and I would just meet really great people. Right. Exactly. You weren't thinking like, is this the one? You're like, oh, I could, this could be an interesting could evening. Just be a great friend or just a good that's, conversation that's that will excite I, me. Because the same thing, like you say, I love I having a good conversation. By the words. Yeah, exactly. So I, there I, you go. That's the tip. That's insane. Enjoy no, talking to seriously, people. Seriously, just take the pressure off yourself to find like the one and that every guy has to be this perfect thing. Like you might, it might surprise you. So you do think like, I mean, I feel like spirituality is kind of having I don't want to say like a comeback, but it is becoming more mainstream. No, it's being it more is. accepted. You're and do you the right think thing or... with that, it will actually help people's sex lives and hopefully their relationships? Do you think there is, I mean, we talked a little bit about how learning to be present and connect. Do you think hopefully you're going to see like I a hope, correlation? I hope so. I hope like there's a lot more people um, who are like, you know, as well, we live in LA, but yoga and doing meditation. And like when you're in that space and you sink in, like you walk out of the den or you walk out of a yoga class, like you are the most present, even if it lasts for 10 minutes. So you get in your car and you're in traffic, you are present and you are open and you are available. So I feel like if there's more people who are engaging in such mindfulness activities that in making it part of their lifestyle, then I hope that it would kind of spill over into dating and yeah. you should have like a dating thing at your we should. You should absolutely lead one. Yeah. Oh, I just, yeah. But like even a fun, like, like a single. Mixer. Yeah, you know, it's funny in the like beginning, minded. we were written up somewhere for being like one of the best places to meet someone. Really? Because Dude, I think in I the beginning, think... people were really flocking because it, it was like minded people. Like you said, it was like, how can I meet someone else? Yeah. Who's looks, look at the world this way, can have these types of conversations, right. can talk a little bit deeper, especially in Los Angeles. There's yeah. some deep conversations totally. going on. Totally. So yeah, Dude, I think you and I agree. I'm Should we do start, a little mix? If someone comes to LA, and if you don't live in LA and you're listening to this, I think you have to just check out the den because <laughs> no, it's such it's so centrally located. Well, there's two of them now. Congratulations, thank you. But it's such you walk in there and you feel like you meditated and you've, you're calm. You took a Xanax, but like a spiritual one, um, an herbal <laughs> one, an herbal Xanax, and you're like ah, and you just settle in. And I feel like if you, it's a treat, and you would just get the benefit of it, and you could take a class, which I think. It's such a cool place. It, you well, created I, such a special. I, thank you. Yeah, you I really should have been on you. So. Well, speaking of meditation, have you watched Wild Country yet on Netflix? I've watched one episode of it. Okay, so I'm dying. You have to watch Two. more, so we might not be able to talk God about it damn now. It. But, but I know it's like about sex cults, right? Little. It's. I don't think it was a sex cult in my mind, okay. but that's why I'd be curious of the conversation with you. <sighs> it, it's. It, it, and Beauty. I don't even really know if it was a cult cult because I feel like people could come and go freely. I think right. I think it was a community that got very terrified of what was happening. Right. And then an insane lady running it who then reacted really poorly. And then right. and then they all became insane. Well oh the intentions God. were probably there, but just like anything, like the there's probably a communication breakdown, a power grab. Yeah, but the intention originally was just really like a beautiful community of open communication and love. Right. And, I mean, that was the intention. Yeah, but all, then, all you know, then poison that. and murder and shit. And it's like, you know, everyday life. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it yet. But I'm curious. So then on that, though, like, do you have a philosophy on, like, sex rituals? Like, at least in the spiritual world, there's, like, you know, there's ceremony and rituals. Like, what about in sex? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I think for sex, 
Um, okay, well, let's talk about the actual act of sex. Like if you, I think keeping technology out of the bedroom, we all ah. love watching TV in bed. I get it. I'm but guilty. if you, <laughs> well, yeah, also you both, your history in television and both of you work in television, but I feel, I know that's a tough one or at least having rules around it. Like you don't just you flip on off. the TV, like have it a place for sleeping and for sex, your bedroom, leave your cell phones outside the bedroom at night. I know everyone's also having a guilty. panic attack right now. <laughs> Um, and creating a space that's like let's see if it, I do any of these correctly. Just one. So far, right? not there. No, but I'm saying like and like and the, so much about sex is about your senses. So like um creating a space where you've got like candles and music and things just if you can kind of make your space about sex, that would be a great ritual. Um, or a great mindset to go into it. Cause people are just like, oh, we just are in our routines. And even if you just turn off the TV. Some so nights. just start there. Like, let's talk. Yeah. But why do you think, I mean, how do, how should people keep their sex life exciting after being for a while? Because it's interesting what you're saying. You're like, yeah, that's what everyone does when they first start dating. Oh it's like God, you create moods, you create scenes. And then my friend like, used to bake apple pie so it smelled like apple pie in her house. Oh my God. I'm like, really? It's Midwest. But still. <laughs> but still, same idea. And then it's like, that goes away. And then it feels weird bringing it back. Like, why does that feel like such a weird thing to bring well, back? Well, I'll tell you. So here's another sex ritual, if you will, is that my my big thing is that communication is a lubrication. And the, the Ooh, sooner like and one. faster you talk about sex in the relationship, like it could be the first time you have sex, the better sex you're going to have. So what happens is what you're talking to, you're referring to the honeymoon stage, which is actually an official like um, stage. That's a, It's our evolutionary psychology, bi biology points to this period from six months to two years. If you look at our ancestors, we would have sex to procreate. The man goes off to spread his seed. We raise we have nine months with the baby. The guy stays around for a few months. Then he goes. So it's like a six month where we're feeling the love hormones and attachment, attachment. And every couple thinks they're like, and then all of a sudden it's gone, right? <laughs> and they're like, what happened? How do we get back? And everyone's surprised. They're like, I get emails every day. We were, things were great. We've been together nine months and then we moved in together or now we don't have sex. I'm like, because that's supposed to happen. So my point is the sooner that you recognize that sex is something that takes effort, work. And I most, most of that I mean is communication. Like from the beginning, what do you like? What don't you like? Don't be shy to talk about your fantasies, what turns you on, where you like to be touched. Like, because it's going to, why not like do it like preventative? Like, you know, it's going to happen. And, and you, it's <laughs> like, I'm just telling it. you, like, like we always had this, um, in San Francisco, we had like an earthquake prepared kit. Like, just be prepared. The earthquake is coming, um, or could come at some point. It was like this whole thing. And I thought, well, what if sex was like, you guys know this, it's not going to always be as great as it was at the beginning. It just can't be. You, it's unsustainable. It's your brain tricking you into procreation, finding a mate, hormones, love, it's going to dive. So my my tip is first, talk about it. Like, like what you really like. And I get everything feels great at the beginning. But if there's some fantasies or something different you want to try or just letting your partner know how you really like it. We all have these things that we don't really want to say or we're afraid they won't like us. Or even just saying sex is really important to me. I want you to know like having a healthy sex life. So you start it because the biggest challenge for couples are talking about sex. Because once you start to talk about it and you really talk about it, not just once. People are like, I tried that <laughs> once. I asked my partner. She said she had no fantasies. Like it has to be just as much as you talk about where should we go on vacation? Right. What's normalize it. Normalize the sex talk. So monogamy or not monogamy? I can't get it. Let, let me know. Where, where's Choose. your head at? Oh, personally? Yeah. You know, I'm in a monogamous space currently, but I've been in many different spaces. I just like to, I mean, I think that modern relationships are very different right now. And I think people are realizing that it just doesn't work for everybody. And people, some people, open relationships work for many people, being swingers or having a few lovers, like, I think that 
it's been so, in, you know, we don't see a lot of great examples of like open relationships that work and people assume it's just swingers or hippies. And, but I've seen a lot of people that it actually works for, they have kids and it. So I think you get to choose and, and be informed about it. And if you feel like it might not be right for you, go with that. Try it out. Try being in an open place, you know? Be honest. I think that's where, again, like spirituality and acceptance and non-judgment come into place. Like it's all about communication and what works for you. Yeah. And if there's no rule. I mean, yes, there's rules about like what society But it's probably thinks. your own rules. Yeah. Like you have create, to create your own rules. I think that every couple should be brave enough to talk about what they really, what kind of, they get to create whatever relationship they want and whatever rules they want. And as long as together. there's respect between the yeah. two and totally, honesty. It can work for many people. Do you think, what do you think the key is to a solid relationship? Truth? Communication? I mean, what? Um, I think communication, um, yes, across the board. I think it's really important to keep the novelty. So even though we all just want to sit home and watch Netflix, because really that's awesome to do yes. and order in, um, to just, even if you want to hand it off, like once a month, you have a date night where you each create an adventure. It could be we, dinner we and a movie. Yeah. You said you do that. Right. Mm -hmm. I love it. So like, like, and if you have to schedule sex, you <laughs> schedule it, which sounds like it back on the calendar, right. but we do it. <laughs> <laughs> like literally it's hard. I'm having my assistant But it do is it. fun. It's it fun is. to do that. I know. Yeah, really. Like toys are really fun. Um, just exploring. Like there's so much. Say, like, By the way, that's what my boyfriend does. What? He'll be like, I plan this most amazing thing. And then I know it's his assistant because then when it goes wrong, he's like, God damn it. Allie. And I'm like, well, then don't pretend because that you planned it. <laughs> he's like, where the, the, the dominatrix is in He's like, yet. where is this? I don't know. Oh, it went out of business two years ago. How did she not check that? I'm like, well, maybe you should have checked it since exactly. it was for me. Oh my God. That's so funny. As long as he's making the effort. Absolutely. So I just think it's variety, thousand. talking, getting out of your comfort zone because here's why. It's the beginning of a relationship. What really excites us is the novelty, the excitement, the newness, the unknown, the um, spontaneity. But once you get committed, once you're committed, you everything's becomes sort of you get routine. You know everything about your partner. You make assumptions, and that's no longer sexy. So it kind of cancels each it's other. It's hard out. to like create new. It's fun creating like new memories and having new like jokes. And it's hard to create those unless you're doing something exactly. Different. Even sex outside the bedroom. I mean, we get so bored with just like I know. Have it on the couch. Have it outside. Go on vacation. What's your favorite position? <sighs> My favorite position. I like. Okay, we're laughing. We talk about. This. I, I think, like that you're looking at someone else for the answer. Jamie's <laughs> other have my brain. Were you two um, together last night? We were. No. In my, I dreamt about you. No, I would say my favorite position is. I really like missionary. I love missionary I like too. All, I like um, variations of missionary. So, like the cat position, where there's different positions where you can move. You can grind. It's a missionary is not just the pounding away. It's like there's different positions. <laughs> right. Never pound away. There's ways you could use like toys and pillows and things and change it up. All right. Let's move to a for you section. So it's okay. going to be four questions that you can just rattle off pretty quickly. That right. are just four takeaways for our audience. Okay. So the type of meditation you rely on the most. I rely on a combination of Vipassana because I've done that for a long time and TM. So I do the TM tw two times a day for 20 minutes, but I just do breath, not without, without a mantra. Oh, without a mantra. Insight, I do insight meditation. Well, real quick, my meditation story is that I did Vipassana 10-day silent retreats and I- Can't imagine you silent. Dude, I, <laughs> I haven't stopped talking since, but they were like twice a day for an hour. So I never kept up with it. And then I discovered TM that was like, it's cool. Just 20 minutes is fine. I was like, really? So then I was able to drop into my Vipassana, but, but do 20 minutes. So really you do 20-minute Vipassana. Yes. Got it. Okay. okay. Your top tip on a deep meditation. Um, I would say my top tip is to wear, I love my like noise canceling headphones. Oh, that's a smart idea. Most, I use these. I cannot meditate without them. 
Um, and I would also say, um, yeah, that's it. Cut out all sound. Even if you think it's quiet to me, it just really helps me um, tune out. Tune out. And I have a space for it. What's your best worst day? Meaning something horrible, but like in the long run, it was really good for you. Okay. Um, I would say my best worst day was when I was starting sex. Then you said, how was it along the way? It was like, there was a lot of challenges where things did not go right. And I thought, you know, I was a newbie to entertainment. I thought things would always, when they, someone says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. I had a radio show. They were going to syndicate it this is early on. And then it didn't get syndicated. And it was like this crushing like thing. And I realized, you know what? I don't ever want to create any projects or do anything that I'm not in control of. I don't want to wait for networks. I also had a TV deal that didn't go through. There was a bunch of entertainment stuff that didn't work. And I thought, you know what? All these rejections and all these bad things, they it felt devastating. And then I thought it was, the, it was horrible and devastating because I didn't know that this industry was all about rejection. But what I realized <laughs> was that I'm just going to, I'm going to work on what I can control and what feels good to me. And I'm going to build a business based around like doing podcasts, which I can control and working with people I really like. And it doesn't matter. I don't have to rely on anyone else, but my internal team and myself to have success. And then you built a huge business. It's amazing. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? RPM. What's RPM? Deepak Chopra. This is a really oh, good right. meditation. Okay. Rise, pee, meditate. So I love that because I, for a long time, was struggling with, I'd be like, well, first I'll get my coffee. And he'd be like, no, no, you rise, pee, meditate. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but then I'll check my phone. No, no. So if you think about that, you're like, okay, all I'm going to do is rise. I'm going to pee. He says piss, but I like pee better. And then meditate. <laughs> you don't have room to like, but then I'll put that load of laundry in the dryer. Or then I'm going to do, you just do it. And okay, then I get so it how done. good are you at it? Like how often well, are you doing that? Well, I go that? in phases, I have to say, but I would say like the last few weeks, not great, but I go for periods where that's more often than not. Let's say more often than not, I do that. And even it's for five, 10 minutes, I do it. Do you feel like when you're in your phase, how long are your phases? Like, do you feel like when you're in your phase, like you're just on top of everything? I feel like things, I can tell when I stop meditating, I need to get back to it. Yes. I feel like it's part of a, and when I'm meditating, I'm getting really good sleep and I'm exercising and I'm in a healthy place. And so overall it all feeds together. When you start dating, like let's talk about your new relationship. How, how did your meditation practice? Did it go That's out the window? That's where it's been a hard time. It's hard because you're bringing another thing into your life. Right. And so I have to say that's when it's been a struggle and it took me a while, like probably a month or two. And then I was like, we don't see, we're not together every day. But I realized that the mornings we were together, I wasn't. So I said to him, I was like, this, I have to work this in still so that I was able to say that I'm going to get up first and I'm going to meditate. And so, but it, for months I was like, it doesn't matter because we're cozy in bed. And then how does he react to that? Ah, he's fine. <laughs> he's got to be fine. What's he going to do? You are so much fun to talk to, and I am so thankful for you. And thank you. I mean, I know you are just naturally open and honest, but it's been really fun. Oh my god, and a blast! This just flew by. You're so good at this. No, you're awesome and so funny, and so yeah, I just love you. Everyone, she is going to lead us in her personal practice, which this is amazing. Okay, okay. this is going to be a mindful masturbation practice. So. Keep maybe not do it while you're driving. <laughs> this might right. be something you want to do later. Just come back and check it out. But I think this is a pretty amazing gift for everybody. This is a mindful masturbation practice, which is really all about getting into a relaxed state where you can let go and experience that real connection to your body and your body's potential for pleasure. Cultivating a healthy masturbation practice will help you have more energy, connect to your sexuality, and to your mindfulness practice, and just your mindfulness overall. It also allows you to understand your body better 
So you can let your partners know how to please you, remove shame, and any other negative messages that are blocking you from experiencing real pleasure and stimulation. Best to start out in your bedroom or the bathtub, somewhere where you can be alone and no one can disturb you and you can really take the time to tune into your body. Feel free to have some toys and some lube or massage oil near you. My intention with this practice is to get sensation back into your body and your genitals. Like everything else, this takes time and practice and patience. If you want to have more connected, explosive sex and orgasms, this is where you should start. First, start by noticing sensations throughout the day, like on your arm as you brush up against your lover, on your cheek as you get in bed at night and you lie against your pillow, on your fingertips as you rinse a dish with warm water. We all become desensitized when we're stressed or rush or distracted. And over time, this just feels normal, like we're always in this state. And we also do this during sex. The reason why we don't experience a lot of amazing sex is because we're too stressed or rushed or distracted even when we're having sex. So the following meditation, whether it's once a week, once a day, or once a month, can increase your body's capacity for noticing and indulging in all these different different sensations that it can experience. So get yourself comfortable, best to be lying down, and we can begin. So we're going to begin by flushing all the tension out of your body through your lungs. So let me walk you through this. Close your eyes and take four deep breaths, inhaling through your nose and exhaling through your mouth. On your fourth breath, slow down your exhale even more and feel the air leave your lungs, flushing through your body and out of your mouth. So like this. Each time you breathe out, imagine that breath releasing through your body, flushing through your muscles that hold your neck up, and eventually we want to make sure that breath is moving all the way down to our genitals, to our pelvic floor. It's really important to feel that area. Just move all the way down to your toes. So you want to breathe in and then out down your shoulders, through your arms. Down your chest. Down your stomach, your hips, and all the way down to your pelvic floor, your genitals, where all your sensations and feel-good feelings are. Whatever you call that area, the pleasure region, just make sure that you're breathing into that area. So when you're doing this mindful masturbation practice, it's also great to work in your Kegel exercises. Now, I'm sure you've heard about these before, and so it's important to identify the right muscles. And the easiest way to do this is to identify when you um, stop your your urination or when you're you're basically your pee-stopping muscles where you stop and start the flow of, of urine. So these 
are your pelvic floor muscles. And when you have stronger kegels and when you pump those muscles, um, you could actually have stronger and more tense orgasms. So work them into this practice. To perform your kegels, contract these muscles and hold for five seconds and then release for five seconds. And you repeat this 10 times throughout your mindful masturbation practice or as many times as feel comfortable for you. But performing um, these exercises alongside your um, uh, mindfulness masturbation or through your meditation practice or throughout your day is a huge part of women being more in touch with their bodies and men and having stronger orgasms. So you want to continue to let your breath fill up your body with pleasure and sensation. And then start introducing touch. This is where you can start to trace your fingers all over your body and start to really feel how it feels that your skin feels beneath your fingers. So start from your face down to your neck. There's so many delicious erogenous zones on our neck, your nipples, your stomach, down your entire body. Think of this as teasing yourself, foreplay for yourself, teasing with touch, using different textures and pressures. Keep massaging and touching everything, all these different spots on your body until you finally feel like you're really connected to your body and all the touch that you're experiencing. And then feel free to touch yourself as you please. I know I'm sure, I'm sure you've touched yourself before with pleasure. So this is a great way to start out any of your self-loving practice, self-love time, which is so important. And important for your pleasure, important to having healthy sex and that connection to your body. So it's a great practice that helps with all of this. And and it also reminds you when you do this mindful masturbation practice that it's so important to use your breath when you're experiencing pleasure, whether you're with a partner or you're alone. And it really helps you intensify your orgasms. You'll have some kick-ass orgasms, I promise, when you just remember to breathe and take some time before you have any sexual practice to breathe and get in touch with your body. <sighs> 